0: Alrighty, hello and welcome back to Unqualified Analysis, the show with zero credentials. That just keeps firing off takes anyways with reckless abandon, because why not? I mean, I'm here, I got a microphone in front of me, might as well make it count, right? But off the top, I gotta do some housekeeping real quick. I am taking a vacation, a short expedition uh, however you would describe it I'm doing some camping doing some driving across country doing some flying across country too it's gonna be one a uh, uh, great adventure. It's gonna take a good uh, good couple days but uh, yeah it's gonna be fun. That being said there will not be an episode next week uh, as a result of that. first week of August I may do a podcast to kind of riff off sports topics I missed. Uh, maybe tell some stories from the road, but it's going to be far less structured or planned since I'll have literally like zero time to prepare pretty much because I'll be just coming off the road. I think I'm flying back on the first, probably drive back on the first, which means I would be uh, recording, doing everything on the second. So, I mean, there I'll have a little bit of time to, rep- to prepare, but no promises. Um, also not a guarantee that I even put one out the first week of August, but I would say To be honest, about a 70-30 chance in favor of putting one out, just because I'll have probably a lot to say. This is going to be a fun trip I'm going on. After that, back to the regularly scheduled program, right on the doorstep of football season. We are almost back, baby. It is going to be so, so great. But to recap everything I just said, no episode next week, probably an episode the week after at this point, I've said it so many times, I'll, I'll probably just end up pu- end up putting up a uh, uh, episode at that point anyways. So yeah, I look forward to that. But with that said, for today's show, it is yet another off-season episode. It's not a whole lot of on-field action to follow. Uh, there is enough off-field and baseball stuff happening, though, to make a show out of it, though. So let's get into it. We've got One incredibly awkward situation between DeAndre Ayton and the Suns. The Nationals brass are working, as you listen to this, as I speak, to procure a Scott Boris voodoo doll. And segment season returns with one simple question. Will they stay or will they go? As far as offseason episodes go, this is pretty chock full. I mean, not even lying this time. So without further gas bagging, uh, let's get into the headlines. The headlines. First off, I am probably once again the last to talk about this particular subject. But ESPN put out some rankings and you know what? They caused some buzz with it. And they absolutely know how to do that, if nothing else. So ESPN put out this list of top 10 QBs in the NFL. And i got to give it to them here. I mean, they know how to get engagement going when the news cycle is stale. So the list is as followed. First, you got Aaron Rodgers at number one, Patrick Mahomes at number two, Josh Allen at number three, Tom Brady at number four, Joe Burrow at number five, Matt Stafford at number six, Justin Herbert at number seven, Russell Wilson at number eight, Deshaun Watson at number nine, and Dak Prescott at number 10. And hey, after serving his year's suspension from ESPN rankings, the nasty man himself, has made his triumph return to the top 10. Hide your female relatives, ladies and gentlemen, because the man is back. Um, obviously, based on objective measures and analysis and a poll of 50 executives within the league, but make no mistake about it. This is a list that was put out for one reason and one reason alone. That is publicity and a downtime of the sports calendar, ladies and gentlemen. Let me break it down for you. All of a sudden, in the middle of a dry period in the sports calendar, after my first time doing this, July is the fucking worst, I, I have to say. I mean, phew, not looking forward to this again next year. I'm going to have to do a lot more dumb shit during this time, but I digress. Um, during this this real doldrum time, ESPN puts out this list here and causes a bunch of people to visit their site and talk about them in their respective plat- on their respective platforms all without paying one person a dime. It's terrible sports journalism, I would say, but brilliant marketing in my book. And let's let's be honest. It's not like we got anything else to do but shit on this list while we wait for football to come back anyways. So I mean, hey, let me take you down the list and show you why this is such a masterstroke of outrage baiting on multiple levels. I mean, let's just get right into it. Embracing debate here. First off, right off the top of the list, I feel like you got to bookend this thing with controversy if you really want get to the, get the juices flowing on the, uh, on the sports web here. But first, right off the bat, Aaron Rodgers over Patrick Mahomes at one. Not really a hot take from a football standpoint, but... People just get fucking weird about Aaron Rodgers after this whole immunization, Pancha Karma, uh, the ivermectin enemas, or whatever the hell the guy was doing, all, this, all that saga the past year. Um, never a chance that putting Rodgers at number one was going to go down completely smoothly, even if it makes sense from a football perspective. I mean, it doesn't feel like it feels like that one. You can go either way, Mahomes or Rodgers. I mean, it's really kind of up to you which one you choose. It feels like Aaron Rodgers is the one you choose if you're going for you know the left side of the spectrum to be real outraged at you. How could you put this man on this pedestal? Oh my goodness, what are you doing over here? And how could you put Aaron Rodgers over Pat Mahomes? What in reality, as far as from a football perspective? I mean, it's really just like, what flavor are you feeling on that particular day as to uh, which quarterback you go with, Rodgers or Mahomes? I mean, it's, you can't really go wrong with either. They both have different strengths. They do different things at ridiculous levels. If you're just talking right now, taking age out of the equation, I mean, you really can't go with either Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers. The fact of the matter is putting Aaron Rodgers at one brings a lot more conversation and brings a lot more buzz to the site, but moving down the list here, because that's far, that's far from the end of uh, where the, where the outrage baiting stops here. Uh, Again, not not trying to sound like a super right-wing guy here, but this is pretty, I mean, a lot of it, some of this I'm kind of reaching, but a lot of it is pretty clearly like, I mean, they're just trying to embrace debate, get people talking, get people's, you know, get ESPN's name on the tips of people's tongues uh, without gasbagging too much. Let's get into the second one here. Tom Brady at four, just ahead of Joe Burrow at five. Just kind of a head scratcher for me. Not even going to lie, like, not even sure this one is true from a football standpoint even. I just feel like it's just a mixture of Tom Brady Stockholm syndromeing the entire sports world into thinking he'll just never age and giving people an excuse to either blast ESPN for putting Brady ahead of Burrow or marvel at Brady for being a top five QB at 45. Either way, Buzz was sure to follow on this one. And I mean, I know you're not supposed to take age into it I I feel like I may be the last one on this train. I'm just a contrarian by nature, but I feel like you can't just count on Tom Brady at 45 to still be a top five QB. Not only a top five QB, but a top five QB that's ahead of a guy that literally, literally just went to a Super Bowl. I mean, carrying the lifeless husk of an offensive line that he had in front of him all the way to the championship at the end there. I mean, I just don't know how. I mean, I understand that Tom Brady has, after all the years of Max Kellerman saying, I mean, the cliff is coming, I think that was like seven years ago at this point, everyone at ESPN kind of thinking, oh man, I mean, the end is near before he just completely defied the laws of time and, and aging somehow once once uh, Alex Guerrero almost said Vlad Guerrero completely different people Alex Guerrero and Vlad Guerrero I feel like they have very different specialties that's neither here nor there once he brought Alex Guerrero in I feel like I feel like you know the entire sports media just got gunshot because they were like okay at 40 at 40 he has to start slowing down and then they're like okay at 42 he's got to be almost done Okay, 40. Okay, after like 40, I think they really stopped kind of th- like okay, he can just kind of he can stop being good whenever he's ready. We're not going to predict it. We're just going to we're just going to keep doing this and we're going to say he's a top 5 quarterback until proven otherwise. That's, that's that's pretty much what I'm seeing here. But uh I mean, really, just something that you put in there to embrace debate. You put Tom Brady in the top 5. You got to you got to got to respect the goat at the end of the day. It is what it is. But call it like you see it. I mean, Joe Burrow, I mean, maybe this is a big debate thing. Again, this is why they put it here. But I feel like Joe Burrow is a better quarterback right now than what Tom Brady bring, brings to the table, he, he, just from a physical standpoint for, for Tom Brady. I mean, I, I mean, there's no debating he's the greatest quarterback, greatest player of all time. But at the, at the end of the day, I, I, I'm taking Joe Burrow right now at their different points in their career. I mean, just physically, Joe Burrow can do more for me. So, I mean, that's just... It is what it is there. Moving down to the next thing on the list that I thought was just kind of asinine. Uh, you move down the list and Justin Herbert's all the way down at seven behind Matt Stafford at six. I, you can easily justify this by stating the obvious fact that Stafford won a Super Bowl last year uh, while Herbert missed the playoffs. I mean, they both had kind of like really, really good, solid rosters. I mean, overlooked the fact that the Chargers just had like a God awful defense when it really counted last year. Um, Obviously, that's neither here nor there for for this list, though. That being said, age aside, if I'm given the choice right now, all things taken equally between Matt Stafford as my starter, or Justin Herbert, take age out of it, all of it. I'm going with Justin Herbert right now. Playoff experience be damned. I mean, he brings more to the table. He can be a pro- He can be a power runner if you need him to. Um, he can. Absolutely, throw frozen ropes if you need him to. Uh, he can. He's shown the ability to make good decisions in the passing game. He's an accurate passer. I mean, he can do just about everything for you. He's just. He's like basically a, a clone of Josh Allen. Josh Allen's all the way up there at, at number three. Only thing separating Justin Herbert from Josh Allen right now is, I mean, age. I mean, it's not for not for a lack of opportunity. I mean, Justin Justin Herbert is getting all the all the reps that. Josh Allen did, and hell, I think he's better earlier in his career than Josh Allen was too. Josh Allen just had that insane learning curve where, I mean, just year after year, he made incredible jumps that, I mean, I don't know if we've ever seen from a quarterback, and I'm not sure what we'll ever see since, but to have Justin Herbert behind Matt Stafford, I mean, I I understand that from a, a winning, a playoff perspective, you gotta have Matt Stafford up there, but I feel like in comparison to Justin Herbert. I, I I understand he's a young QB. Sometimes he just has plays where, I mean, it, it looks like the guy kind of short circuits. I mean, it just, you know, that young young player sorts of things. I mean, by God, he's only 25, right? But at the same time, the things he does in between those kind of like bonehead young player moves are just so incredible that I, <laughs> I can't... I can't justify in my mind putting Stafford over this guy in in any list whatsoever. Plus, it directly you know kind of kind of compares the two L.A. QBs, which might be a coincidence, but it feels a little convenient given the constant drive to build up the L.A. market. I mean, specifically, uh, not almost said the Clippers market. The equivalence of the Clippers, the Chargers here in L.A., they need more help than anyone so what better way to do it than have a debate between the two LA starting QBs why not I mean makes makes too much sense right next up on the list of things used to to drive debate in this list you got the nasty man at number nine which while I'm I'm, I might it might be true from a football perspective yikes (laughs) that's really that's really all, all I can say there just yikes yikes uh, cynical as it may sound, tossing into Sean Watts' name is a—I'd uh, say—I uh, mean, again, cynical as it may sound, it's a great way to both farm outrage from masses and prove their "quote unquote" objectivity by showing that off-field issues won't affect on-field uh, grading curves. So, uh, yeah, uh, don't don't need to dwell on this one. This one, that one, kind of kind of just depresses me. I, I, I'm still not entirely sure what what to do with Deshaun Watson. Other, other than say, yeah, hi, hide your female relatives. He's back, man. He's back. Anyways, finally, the one that topped off the list. Like I said before, gotta bookend this thing with some controversy. You got a Rod over Mahomes to start it off, and then finally, in the last but not least, probably the most uh, the most controversial of all the picks in this one. The one that got the sports world up in arms more than just about any other part of this list, Lamar Jackson was not ranked among the top 10 QBs. As you may have noticed from my earlier reading, I mean, i just now addressing it for sure. Uh, I mean, on one hand, you can say that there's a whole lot of really good QBs in the league. It's hard to hard to be one of the top 10 guys. I mean, the, the competition is fierce. I understand that. Dak Prescott's a great QB. I, I love the guy. He's probably, I mean, I mean I don't know who else would be my favorite college football player of all time. I mean I got to see the guy in person. Hell, I'm I mean I don't I don't need to toot my own horn here. I I kind of thought like hey, he's probably not going to get drafted high whenever I was watching him, but kind of seeing following him from a distance, uh, I think like the last 3ish years of his college career going from not really being able to pass the ball um, kind of putting it together on offense to having having the number one year where he was like a, a Heisman contender for a while. Still couldn't really pass the ball too great, though, but he was a great runner, could put up a whole lot of touchdowns, to what he did his senior year where he legitimately turned into the best passer in the SEC that year. I mean, no, no, no other qualms about it. He was the best QB in the SEC after being, I mean, not a great passer the year before. After seeing that, I said, I don't know if he's gonna get drafted high. I don't know if he has the physical tools to necessarily get get drafted by. Get drafted high. Jesus, easy for me to say. But once he gets wherever he gets, I thought for sure he was gonna get a chance to start one day. I didn't know if he would I didn't know if he would ever get this good to where he'd be like borderline top ten, but I thought for sure he would be a starter one day. That is all to say, I love the hell out of Dak. But when a guy wins an MVP with his best pass catcher being a tight end, He's got an OC in uh, Greg Roman, who's had shortcomings in the passing game, in coordination, scheme, all of that. Uh, a, a Ravens organization that has like almost never been able to to draft a good wide receiver. Um, they keep on trying, but it just seems like their their real specialties on the defensive side more than anything else. I mean, all while playing the game like we've never really seen before. He deserves to be on this list with all of that that I just stated. I love Dak. More than just about anything, maybe not more than just about anything. I mean, I do love my dog and I do love my family a lot more than Dak, that's for sure. But do love the guy as a football player. At the very least, I think Lamar should have slotted into that number 10 position over him here. I even think there's an argument to be made that he's an all-around better player than what Deshaun Watson is. I mean, I feel like Deshaun Watson... He's got less of an arm than what uh, Lamar Jackson has. I think he had a little bit more to work with in the receiving category. Um, I think Lamar Jackson was a much better runner. I feel like they're kind of overall, if you take the take the composite score, I feel like maybe Deshaun Watson's a little bit better running the passing game. Uh, Lamar Jackson, maybe not quite so much the elite passer on a consistent basis, but he can have super streaky performances and, and he runs like no one we've ever seen in league history. I mean, sure, you can throw out Michael Vick. But, I mean, I've, I was thinking about this while, while walking my dog the other day. But Lamar Jackson is literally like you put, say, like a kick returner essentially at the quarterback position. Like uh, maybe not even just like a kick returner at the quarterback position. Like a quarterback that could play kick returner if you needed to also make him like 6 to Give him the quickness of a wide receiver, like all of that stuff. Like it is, it is insane what Lamar Jackson brings to the table from a full tools perspective. I mean, it is just, just wild to me that he is not in the top ten. I mean, you, you cannot convince me that when ESPN and Jeremy Fowler put this list out there, that they didn't know that not, not including Lamar Jackson on this list would cause a stir in the media. I think they counted on it, in fact. So, ultimately, yes, it was kind of a hit and miss list as far as the actual rankings are concerned, but I think they fulfilled their main goal here. They got eyes on ESPN and their website, and they got the brand name in the audience's ears and minds and time where not a goddamn thing is happening in the sports world. Again, I can't, can't reiterate it enough. Big ol' boo from a journalistic perspective. Bravo from a business perspective, though. Absolute masterclass in marketing. Moving down the topics du jour. Uh, DeAndre Ayton signs a four-year, $133 million offer sheet with the Indiana Pacers. Uh, The Suns quickly matched thereafter. Um, Yeah, interesting, interesting situation here. I alluded to it up top being awkward as hell. DeAndre Ayton does not want to play for the Suns. I've heard it over and over again. And the fact that he signed a restricted free agent deal with someone else instead of taking a, a big extension, even if it wasn't a, uh, a Supermax, tells me all I need to know about the situation. The guy does not want to be there. Uh, there were also rumblings that the Suns didn't want to give him that rookie Supermax that you saw. Um, maybe it was, uh, well, yeah, Zion, John Morant. Uh, Darius Garland, all those guys. The, the big big 190 to $230 million joint that he would have gotten if, if he was given the Supermax. I digress there. It does seem like there's mutual interest on both sides in parting ways here. The problem is the Suns aren't just going to let the number one overall pick walk out the door without getting some sort of compensation for him. They're going to try and wheel and deal him here. So... That brings us to where we are right this second uh, with a player who doesn't want to be there, an organization that doesn't think he's valuable enough to give the max to, and they're stuck together until at least mid-January because since he signed that restricted free agent sheet and the Suns matched, there's there's nothing you can do about it. It is it is a done deal until mid January. I don't exactly know what the significance of mid January is, but it's it's when you can trade players that just signed contracts. So I mean that's the the more you know, I guess. Hey, KD, you still want to come to town to uh to Phoenix here? I mean it's you can build a dynasty that's for sure. Uh, though that being said, now that Aiton is locked in with this contract, I. I doubt that that they can even make this happen because the Suns have to wait until January to offload Aiden. By the time the Suns can even fit KD in through a trade, even like exchange Ayton for KD to kind of mitigate the over overall draft compensation that the uh, the Suns would have to give up, the deal would likely already be done for him to be traded elsewhere. I mean, I I just don't see KD going into next season with with the Nets, and if he does go in next season with the Nets. I certainly think by January, he is not on that team anymore. I mean, I think it's going to take... I mean, obviously, if Rudy Gobert basically got traded for five first-round picks, for some reason, people, people keep saying six first-round picks. I've not seen six first-round picks anywhere. But essentially, five first-round picks, I mean, KD is going to command at least like seven. So if you can mitigate that by throwing in a player like DeAndre and that'd be cool. But you're going to need him before January. That's the big problem. So, in short, Suns took a detour up Ship Creek and got stuck. Can't imagine this works out from a basketball standpoint. But, boy, should it be entertaining to watch. There will be blow-ups at some point here. You can guarantee it, set it in stone. I'm setting the the money line here at about minus 400 for that prop. It's going to happen. I mean, the, the, the likelihood of there not being a blow-up next year is almost infinitesimal, in, in my opinion here. And, I mean, you know Chris Paul is going to say something that DeAndre Ayton doesn't appreciate, and shit is just going to get wild. It's like, think about this. DeAndre Ayton is basically in a situation where it's like he's walking around the office at a job where he knows that he's about to leave. He's about to be the hell out of Dodge you don't want to be there. You're on edge. Uh, what are they going to do? Fire you? I mean, you're already basically one foot out the door. They've you, they've already shown you that you're too valuable to just let walk out the door anyways. He can basically just kind of act a fool until January if he really wants to. Feels like this situation is a bone-dry powder keg just waiting for a stray spark to light it up. I mean, this, this feels like something where... Classic Suns basketball is about to ensue here and I am here for it. I am not a fan of the franchise, so I am not depressed watching this whole thing implode, watching my my franchise's championship dreams just slowly flutter out the window into the wind, Uh, but because of that, I'm fully content to just sit back here and just watch the shit show unfold. I do love watching a good dumpster fire, and that's that's really all I can ask for from this situation at the end of the day. Up next, Scott Boris, the bane of the Nationals' existence. He First, he took Bryce Harper. Now Scott Boris is back in D.C. to generate a few more tears. I mean, he is not done yet. The blood was not enough last time. After negotiations, which saw Juan Soto offered over $400 million plus, don't know how that was structured, but I, I have heard... It was all within the framework of of the amount of years and within the deal. He didn't get any deferred money. It was all happening within that time frame. So that's not an issue there. Uh, He got that from the Nationals. Boris declined, broke off the talks last week, which likely means that Soto will be traded in the coming weeks. Um, Talked about it last night during the Home Run Derby, which, by the way, he ended up winning and won me some money. Shouts out to me. For taking the uh, the dumbass line of logic that, hey, he's in the he's in the news. The guy wants to get his name out there. Dude, dude wants to, like, you know, show that he's worth trading for. Put on a show. He's going to go out there. He's going to win the home run derby. Absolutely stupid line of thought. But won me a couple bucks. So I cannot complain here. I cannot complain here, ladies and gentlemen. It ended up working out. So whatever works at the end of the day. But back to the issue at hand here. Mike Rizzo and the rest of the front office in Washington must see Scott Boris as their fucking boogeyman dude. I feel like there is not there's not one agent in the league that has done more emotional harm to the city of Washington DC from a, from a baseball perspective. I feel like Dan Snyder has done a whole lot of a lot of bad in his own right over just the, with the overall happiness of the of the area. But Scott Boris on the agent side in in baseball, I just feel like there is if you're if you're a baseball fan in Washington you just got to look at Scott Boris and be like what the hell did we do to you what what did the city of Washington do to you who hurt you because it's obvious hurt people hurt people something something's going on here Scott talk to us you don't need to you don't need to completely bury our franchise by hoarding and getting getting all of our our best prospects up out of dodge i mean you can just have a nice conversation Maybe maybe don't sink the franchise, man. I mean, why not? But but I wouldn't at all be surprised if the ownership of the Nationals sent a team down to the Bayou, down to New Orleans, really just Southern Louisiana. Any anything that's really like below sea level, you're in the you're in the right area. If you start hearing a banjo, that's what you need to look for. That's what you need to look for right there. Probably have a translator, someone who can speak Creole, because they're probably not if they're that deep in the uh, in the Bayou to where their uh, their voodoo actually works. That's that's the shit right there. That that's what you were that's what you're looking for. You're gonna need a translator though because they don't probably speak very good English at the end of the day. That's just kind of Louisiana. Very very interesting state. I would say go there, but uh I mean, really nah. I don't I don't want to besmirch Louisiana, but uh, not a whole lot going on outside of uh, New Orleans. That being said, where where was I? This man has caused so much pain to the franchise all by himself. They've got to be getting desperate at this point going to, to great lengths, go into the middle of the bayou to visit visit Coach O, visit his family. I mean, that's probably their in. They probably put out some feelers to Coach O, like, "Hey, can you uh can you get a get a get a team of suits down there to LaFouche Parish? We're we're looking for a looking for a little bit of a, a remedy to our Scott Boris problem here, if you know what I'm saying." He's like, "Oh, yeah, take it down easy see and I'll, I'll I'll get it for you. Like, you know, something something like that. Just just Coach O stuff." Just, just stuff that he does. Oh, yeah, I'll bring a nice big-titted woman out there, too. Oh, yeah. You know, just thank you, Coach O. Thank you for, for coming along. Anyways, I've got no real analysis on where Soto might actually get traded to. Just that Scott Boris must fly into Dulles, walk off the plane, and immediately feel burning hostility from the local baseball viewing population. He sees a guy in a nats I mean I feel like he's being followed around by a guy in a Nats hat basically from the moment that he touches down till the moment he leaves. And that guy's just waiting. Just waiting for a for a good moment to take his revenge on Scott Boris. I just I feel I wouldn't even really enter the DMV area if I was if I was Scott Boris at this point. I would do all of my negotiations either via Zoom or show up incognito to fly to Washington get to the get to the facility once you're inside probably no one in the baseball ops is going to directly kill you they're probably going to go with the voodoo option first see if they can maybe strike you with some pestilence or something make you infertile they're going to try and they're going to try and, and get their revenge in those ways through magical means first off i would imagine so once you're in the building probably safe for the most part if you're Scott Boris but in all seriousness though uh Y'all know I only pop in on these things when when major stuff is happening. Um, not the biggest baseball fan in the world. Outside of betting, which by the way ladies and gentlemen, your boy is hot. <laughs> your your boy absolutely hot. Have have had over $100 of winnings withdrawn over the past week. I mean, could not have come at a better time. I am needing money for this vacation. I will I will tell you what. Not going to not going to look a gift horse in the mouth on this one, but I digress. Um Whatever the package is to trade for Soto, it's going to be massive. Make no mistake about it. That's something you need to watch over the next couple weeks. What this package ends up being. Because it's going to be players, prospects, the whole nine. It's not going to take just one of those things. They're going, to, they're going to ask for players and prospects at the same time to feel whole on this one. Because 21-year-old future stars don't just come on the market like this. They don't. They don't have this kind of buying frenzy at this age. Usually they get locked up with a a franchise at this point. I mean, the final package is going to be absolutely eye-popping. Like, really something like you see in the the NBA with what Juan Soto ends up getting getting sold down the river for. So, this is my way of telling y'all, keep an eye on this one the next few weeks because it feels like this shit is about to pop off, and it's going to be absolutely Looney Tunes when it finally reaches a, uh, a conclusion here. Uh, that being said, wrapping up the Scott Boris thread, watch your back, bud. I know a lot of a uh, lot of angry uh, Washington Nationals fans. Uh, I think you're probably a good dude. Well, I mean, who, who's to say? <laughs> who's to say? I mean, you are an agent at the end of the day, so, I mean, you know, being, being a good guy isn't necessarily like, you know, helpful for your job i mean it, it is what it is there that being said you know I'm, I'm just looking out for you here i don't want anyone to die and uh with that said i would i would wear a disguise the next time you went to washington just say it, buddy i don't feel like don't feel like you are a, a very popular man around there that being said not a whole lot of headlines today that that was it ladies and gentlemen so with that said let's get into the uh you know Segment of the off-season. Fuck. It's segment season. Yeah, I'm going to leave that in there. It's segment season, ladies and gentlemen. I just totally had a uh, complete meltdown of the brain. I mean, nuclear, nuclear fission was just happening in between my ears. I can just feel the depleted uranium shooting out of my ears. I don't think that's how nuclear fission works. Um, that being said... This week on segment season, we will be doing Will They Stay or Will They Go? Uh, the topic of this week or of the week of the past week in the dog days between OTAs and training camp here where literally everyone is just kind of fishing for topics to uh, the, well, they're either on vacation if they're a well-established presence on the internet or they're just fishing for shit to talk about because there is there is nothing. There's nothing going on. The deadline for franchise players to sign a long-term deal uh, came and went on Friday with no major moves. Uh, At this point, all the guys who have yet to come to terms must play in 2022 on their franchise tag. But after that, it is legitimately at this point, I would say more than anything, a toss-up. I mean, really, you look at these sorts of franchise tender guys the, the tag initially is really just a placeholder so that teams can get in and negotiate with the guy try to come to terms before the uh, the signing deadline for, for training camp so they don't get to this point where they have to actually play on the franchise tag the franchise tag I mean obviously it's security for, for teams pretty much I mean at the end of the day the nuclear option in that case is still you keep the you keep the guy he's on a, a one- year kind of team friendly deal no no harm no foul you just get you know another crack before free agency next year to go um to go negotiate with them so after it gets past this this deadline here it really is like it was kind of like better than 50/50 that the that the player would stay before this deadline passes at this point i feel like more than anything i mean they didn't sign a, a deal. They're they're basically contracts up after this year. Unless they're a quarterback or a really, really elite-level wide receiver, they're not going to get franchise tagged a second year in a row because the cost is so prohibitive for the teams. I mean, none of these guys that I'm about to talk about are going to be worth a, a back-to-back year um, franchise tag from, from a monetary standpoint. So, basically, at this point, it just comes down to What kind of progress can be made on negotiating their deals just come next offseason? So I thought, why not go down the list of guys and ask one simple question? When it's all said and done, will they stay or will they go? Will they stay with the team that they're currently on who, in most cases, drafted them? Or will they go test the market and get their money elsewhere? Hey, I mean, I can't fault them for either, uh, either way they go. But I feel like I got a, a pretty, maybe not a, a clear direction, but I got a pretty clear opinion at the very least of where they're going. So, maybe not where they're going, but if they're staying or if they're going. So, now that I've given you the gist of the exercise here and kind of droned on for God knows how long, uh, let's get into the list of guys caught in the contractual limbo here, shall we? First off, we have got safety for the Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals, Jesus. Uh, Jesse Bates sorry Bengals fans I feel like he's probably going to go um, obviously I've got no inside information here I don't have uh, relationships within the league I just listen to a whole whole lot of sports programming sports podcasts all of that stuff uh, just so I can I can bring you this here show here also because I, I just have a, a ridiculous level of obsession really borderline OCD when it comes to just always having sports content no matter what. But I digress. Obviously, no inside information here, but the long history of the Bengals franchise tells me that they're going to lowball the shit out of Jesse Bates here uh, in negotiations going forward. Perhaps this is a new day with the organization. I mean, they're going out there, they're spending big in free agency, but reports are that zero progress was made before the deadline, and no matter what happens... I think this season I don't I don't think the, the the situation improves very much. I mean either he'll go out there and play well which will likely raise Bates's asking price. I don't I don't think the the Bengals are going to end up trying to pay him more than what he was already asking for. I think that probably knowing the Bengals the question was probably maybe probably a 4-year deal versus 5-year deal. I feel like that's an age-old question among the these players. at least the the top end sorts of players and the amount of guaranteed money and the amount of overall money. That's, that's basically what it comes down to. I feel like they were probably lowballing him on that already. If he goes out there and plays another pro bowl season, that price only goes up, makes it even less likely that the Bengals keep him or in other scenario for the Bengals, he'll, he'll either play badly or get hurt, which will lower the team's offer to him next season anyways, which, Bates would be a fool to accept with with free agency as an option where he'll probably still get, I mean, market value for what he's he's putting out there and, you know, not playing for the Bengals. I feel like that's probably a win. That's not to say I don't think the Bengals need Bates. Actually, quite to the opposite, quite to the contrary, I think they really, really need Bates back there because he covered up a whole lot of holes in that secondary. But I just think this franchise puts cost-cutting above all else really more than just about any other franchise in the NFL, and in more significant ways than just about any other franchise in the NFL. I mean, signing Bates to a big deal on the eve, let's not forget, of Joe Burrow being up for an extension, which will, I repeat, will be massive. They will give him that money. Just doesn't make sense when viewed through the lens of of what you you see the Bengals are Historically, I mean, if it's the Rams, they'd sign this guy in a heartbeat. With the Cronky money, I, I mean, give them cash over cap, give him a big old signing bonus, prorate that cap hit out there so you don't got to worry about it. Unfortunately, for the Bengals, I mean, for their poor, poor fans, I mean, this is the Bengals we're talking about. So, I mean, I highly doubt that it's going to be the case. I mean, <laughs> they're not going to give him the contract, I don't think. Especially not... A guy at safety. At quarterback, I feel like they might be, well, they'll they'll probably be forced to give Joe Burrow that money. But even Joe Burrow, if you really think about it, I mean, do the Browns have the guaranteed money to set an escrow? Or do they have the money set aside to set an escrow right now to match the sort of fully guaranteed deal that Deshaun Watson got from the Browns? Because that's at least, that's the baseline of, of what Joe Burrow is going to ask for. Joe Burrow, make no mistake about it, I gave, I, I dogged that, that list earlier, but Joe Burrow is by far, maybe not by far, but definitely a better QB than Deshaun Watson is, and make no mistake about it, he is one of the best QBs in the league. He will deserve and command every single bit of that money that Deshaun Watson had, and a premium above that even. So, I... That being said, with all of that said, will they be able to give Joe Burrow his contract next year, or will they just have to franchise him anyways? I mean, it's it's one of those things where they might be right back here next year just with the, the quarterback of the franchise and not the uh not not, not a, a safety. I mean, we we're just getting started with the Bengals here. I feel like they their window is maybe just next year as far as their their current championship window they got a very young team but i don't know this feels like a like a house of cards that i mean they're probably going to lose bates this offseason it's yet to be seen what's going to happen with joe burrow hey keep an eye on these bengals man cuz they they are going to be coming out desperate and hungry this year looking forward to it but Moving down the list to the next player, we have got offensive tackle Orlando Brown for the Kansas City Chiefs, and unlike this last one, I think he stays in Kansas City. Um, got a, even less evidence here for Orlando Brown than I did for for Jesse Bates, quite frankly, uh, but the negotiations seem to be characterized in less harsh terms, I guess, uh, than what the Bengals-Bates saga is, is being characterized as, so I think there's room to uh, to salvage this after the season. On one hand, I think the Chiefs need him more than more than anything else. He's the star, the one-star caliber offensive lineman that they have on the team, and plays the most important position on the offensive line, left tackle, uh, protecting uh, Patrick Mahomes' blind side. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I want I want to say he's I want to say Patrick Mahomes is a righty, but I'm I'm too I'm too lazy to go look it up right now. Either way, it's going to cost them. A whole lot of money when they finally uh, cut the check, but that's just the price you gotta pay when you gotta when you got the best QB in the league. Uh, You gotta protect him. You gotta spend a lot of money on that offensive line. And right now, Orlando Brown is the one guy you got. You gotta end up giving him the money eventually. On the other hand, on uh, on Brown's side of the aisle here, um, there's no greater job you can ask for as a big time offensive lineman than blocking for a guy that gives you a chance every single year to win a Super Bowl, year in, year out. You know, no matter at what level this roster is at, I mean, to a certain extent. Obviously, within reason, you can't go to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl with literally no talent. But, if you have a certain degree of talent deficit uh, to some of the other teams around you, having that dude, Patrick Mahomes, back there is an absolute weapon, an absolute luxury that you do not find at pretty much every other stop, I'm not sure this translates into a team-friendly deal per se from uh, from from Orlando's perspective. I mean, this deal would be signed and done by now if that was the case. Um, I think Brown ultimately would love to stay with Mahomes and, and the Chiefs, but I mean, I don't think that trumps his business and monetary interests. And hey, more power to him. Go get your money, King. Uh, that's all to say. I think next offseason the two sides will come together. And hash it out. I think it's in both sides' best interest. The Chiefs need him. Uh, Orlando Brown probably wants to be in a place that he wants to win. But if the Chiefs don't show up driving a Brinks truck and offloading the cash as soon as they show up to the negotiating table, he could still leave in a heartbeat next year in free agency because it's the exact same thing. Exact same thing here that we uh, that we just saw with uh, with Jesse Bates. I mean they're not going to they're not going to sit here and, and say I mean Orlando Brown yeah we, we love you bud but uh yeah they they they're not going to give him a second straight franchise tag because of that that prohibitive cost for that that second franchise tag I mean all of that is to say you know it's it's a very fluid situation I think he stays in Kansas City I think it's best for both sides uh, that being said, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Literally all of these are on hold until next Austin. Oh, by the way, forgot to forgot to kind of mention it here along the way, but literally all these guys, I don't think a single one has actually signed the franchise tender yet, because I mean, why would you when you're going through negotiations? So I mean, even if these guys don't like Well hold on, hold on. Let, let, let me put it this way. They they can't come to a deal anymore, right? That being said, none of these guys are going to show up before like maybe week three of training camp. I mean, maybe they'll show up for the dress rehearsal, um, enough time to kind of get in shape. I mean, that that being said, none of these guys are going to show up for the beginning of training camp. They're all going to be technically holdouts. Make, Make no mistake, though. They have to show up. I mean they literally have to show up. I mean they're I mean they're they're not under contract so they can't be fined, but they can't go anywhere else unless they're trying to trying to pull Le'Veon Bell here and just kind of sit out the whole year. And I don't think any of them are, are trying to do that. So they're gonna show up, but they're gonna take their deer sweep time doing it so that they aren't getting like mowed down by the 80th man on the roster. You know, probably probably a smart business decision on their end because I mean a lot of these for all of these guys Number one thing next season is get through it without getting a major injury. If you can get to the open market without getting a major injury, you're still in line to cash out. So with that said, I feel like I bloviated on Orlando Brown too much. Let's move down the list to the next guy we got, tight end Mike Gesicki of the Miami Dolphins. And I think, much like Orlando Brown, he stays just based on what's around him. Big spending in this offseason kind of hamstrung the Dolphins uh, from addressing Gasicki's long-term contract situation, from what it appears from the outside at the very least, I mean they spent so so much money. They started out with all this cap room, and then they just spent it right away. Figured that hey, they got Gasicki under contract. Or, well, not under contract, but he's coming off his rookie deal. Slapped a franchise tag on him. Obviously, Tua is still under contract, so it makes a lot of a lot of business sense. Uh, feels like a situation where the Dolphins are banking on a higher salary cap next season to fit in a, a big payday for Gasicki. I feel like that kind of feels like the uh, the long-term plan. And barring another pandemic or mass draft for World War Three, probably not a bad bet, by the way. I mean, I feel like that's the the NFL salary cap just keeps moving up, just about no matter what, especially with those new TV deals coming in. I mean, it's about to be Buku Bucks available for Gasicki there, I would imagine. From Gasicki's point of view, yes, you'd rather not play on a franchise tag. It exposes you to all sorts of uh, liability if you get hurt. Uh, there's no guarantee you'll be in a position to command as much the next time this time next year i get it all of that but also if he can make it through this season relatively unscathed with solid numbers he'll be in a much better spot to make a decision when it's time to i mean he won't have the franchise tag hanging over his head because like I said fiscal stuff yada 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 I won't go over that again but he's gonna have a lot more he's gonna know what the situation with is around mike mcDaniel he gets that year to to see what Mike McDaniel's coaching style, what what it fits, if, if it fits his playing style rather, and if the offense works well with his skill set, then next season, once he has a better understanding of the situation of, of what the, the new Miami Dolphins are going to look like under Mike McDaniel, then he can make a contract decision accordingly without that franchise tag looming over his head. He'll have a lot more freedom that way. This, of course, is under the understanding that there's not a chance that the Dolphins franchise tag him next year. I've already been through that. Again, all these guys just trying to get through the next year without sustaining a major injury, and if Gasicki gets through next year without sustaining this major injury, I do think he's in a better position in the long run. That being said, I can't stress enough, you do not want to be franchise tagged if you're in this situation. You just want to go to the open market, get your money, and not have to work, because football, football is a violent sport, man. There's no guarantee that, I mean, just look at um wasn't LeGarrette blunt it w- it was another guy i mean either way i mean th- there's guys like like a, a giants draft pick a uh, several years ago they he had a, they had a first round pick uh i forget his name but he had a, a neck injury first round pick and was out of the league in in 2 years i mean that shit just happens in football and you can't really see it coming obviously you don't want to do that but when it's all said and done i think Gasicki does end up staying because McDaniel is going to use him a lot and the team should have the money to spend next year to uh, to make it happen. That being said, I'm going to throw out this little hypothetical here that might throw a wrench in that whole situation. If Tua comes out and lights the, lights the league on fire, his contract will take priority over what Mike Gasicki is asking for. In that situation, I think the Dolphins would be forced to give Tua too much money on his extension uh, to be able to fit Gasicki's deal in, in the, the salary cap as well. And as with all these situations, it really is a toss-up. But I think Gasicki and the Dolphins find a way to make it work here just because of the fit more than anything else. But I also can't stress enough, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with Tua in Mike McDaniel's system. Maybe Tua will prove me wrong. Maybe he will prove that he is a consistent starter, uh, maybe borderline top 10 sort of sort of starter, I mean, he's going to have to show that this year to command that type of deal. But if he commands that type of deal, they're in a bit of a bind when it comes to Gesicki's contract. Because, I mean, if Tua's playing up to the standards, you you basically have to give him next man up sort of money. I mean, he's going to try and command every bit of what Deshaun Watson commanded last year if if he gets to that point. That, that being said, I haven't been pretty clear that I don't think Tua is necessarily the greatest QB in the world. I think he could end up being like a mid-level starter, but I don't think he's going to play up to a level where he's going to demand that sort of gigantic rookie contract extension that you're going to see from from the likes of, uh, of Joe Burrow and and Justin Herbert next offseason in all likelihood. Um, that being said, down to another tight end here. The last one on this list of players Uh, that have not signed their franchise tags, but have been franchised. Tight end Dalton Schultz for the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, this one might be the murkiest of the bunch, but I feel like Schultz goes when it's all said and done. I think he is going to the open market next offseason in all likelihood. Yup, we are making a pessimistic sandwich with a nice hope-filled center here. Uh, Logically, you think, oh, Cowboys just lost Amari Cooper and Cedric Wilson, you got to make sure Schultz uh, doesn't get out of the building, got to make sure you lock that guy down in a long-term deal. That being said, it just doesn't feel like that's how the Cowboys are approaching the situation at all. I mean, you just look at what they're doing leading up to the deadline to get a deal done. There hadn't been a single bit of progress in in weeks, like three three to four weeks before the uh, before the deadline came up on the negotiation front. I mean, that just sounds like they weren't really talking at all during that time. And it feels like the Cowboys are hesitant to pay Schultz a big deal more than anything else. So, I mean, we can cite the Dak negotiation and how that ended up working out with, with him staying and all that. But it just doesn't feel like the Cowboys want Schultz like they want Dak back in the day when they were making those decisions. I mean, I can't blame them, quite honestly. Dak is the franchise QB, after all. I mean, he's going to take priority over literally everyone at, at every turn. But I'm sure Schultz would would love to continue playing with Dak as, as QB. I also, like just about every other player, I mean, I think he's, I, I doubt a fourth-rounder the year that he came out back in 2018 coming off a rookie contract is going to be willing to take a penny less than what his market value dictates, dictates that he's worth at the end of the day. I'll, I'll just put it that way. So where does that lead the situation? Ultimately Cowboys have shown an ability to draft pass catchers in the, in the past. So I feel, I feel that, that they'll let Schultz walk in free agency next season and uh, draft someone to replace him for cheap in all likelihood. Uh, this does not feel like the, the Dak Prescott situation where they're trying to keep him, but they're playing hardball. I do think they're playing hardball. I think that if they can take Schultz on a bit of a discount because he's playing with Dak, I think that's that's kind of what they would they would want at the end of the day, or, or what the uh, what the Cowboys would want that is at the end of the day. But I just don't think Schultz is going to take any sort of discount from anybody. I don't. And they're certainly not going to franchise him next year unless he goes absolutely insane, starts playing at Travis Kelsey levels next year. Um, Feels like this is uh, this is not going to end up with Schultz staying in Dallas, which makes it really interesting to see what's going to happen with the weapons in Dallas. Because I mean, Dalton Schultz is the one really solid tight end. They they lost Blake Jarwin, which I mean, kind of fell out of favor this year. He's still on the streets. I mean, I guess they could technically sign him if they if they still wanted to at the end of the day but i mean it's it's going to be really interesting to see just how dak does with a depleted receiving core this year we'll have to see if michael gallup stays healthy uh but this feels like the last year that they're going to have dalton schultz and with that we are fast approaching the end of this podcast so to wrap things up get a load of this shit get a load of this shit and coming to you live from the internet here, man uses a contraption on his nose to push peanut up Colorado Mountain. Yep, this uh this beauty of a headline comes to us from UPI, who is a frequent contributor to this segment. I mean, gotta gotta love their hard work. They are constantly putting out articles that are just fucking weird. Um so they they seem to have a bit of a proclivity towards the uh towards the animals and towards people winning the lottery. But beggars can't be choosers. I digress. This week, they brought me this piece of pure journalistic gold from the mine up in UPI. Let me let me get this out to you here. Uh, a Colorado man by the name of Bob Salem became the first person in the 21st century uh, and just the fourth person ever to push a peanut to the top of Pikes Peak Mountain using a tool that I can only describe as a serving spoon strapped to his head so it's directly protruding from his nose um I, I whenever I tweet out this I, I whenever I found this article I basically just saw the pictures and said yep whenever I tweet out the podcast I'm tweeting out pictures so you will see pictures of this man with the with the, the tweet for the uh for the episode here I encourage you to go look at just how unreal ridiculous this man looks uh Honestly, if you envision the face of a man who would strap a spoon to his nose and push a peanut up a mountain for a few extra bucks and his name and picture in the press, you'll probably hit the nail on the head with just how this guy is looking, what what kind of image this guy is presenting. But I do encourage you to go over to my my Twitter, hit follow, uh, send me a DM with your titties and laugh at what this guy kind of looks like. We're not judging here. We're just we all just want to laugh, okay? Hard to tell whether he's a hippie or just like or just like hippie skinny or if he's a meth head skinny. But either way, I think you got the picture in your mind of what this guy looks like. Took him from July 9th to July fifteenth. That's a full seven days if you're doing the counting at home here to traverse the entire mountain. A record time beating Ulysses. Baxter's record set in 1963 by an entire day, seven days versus eight days. I mean, what a feat! What a what a world record to beat at the end of the day. Oddly specific world record, uh, being that only four people have ever done it. But a, a record time that beat Ulysses Baxter. Not not making a whole lot of Ulysses nowadays. So you know that's an old record there. Uh, apparently, the attempt was part of the 150th anniversary celebration for the Colorado city of Manitou Springs. That's Manitou Springs. I feel like since this man has made a complete fool of himself in public, I feel like we deserve to at least give, give some pub to the city that he's trying to bring some uh, some shine to. So hey, Manitou Springs, Colorado got some fucking mountains out there, man. Go go visit, go go be a tourist, spend some money, see if you find a, a skinny looking meth head looking guy who uh, has got a spoon strapped to his face. I mean, that'll, that'll be a pretty telltale sign of who this guy is. I, my, my first question here, though, with that whole... That's basically the whole story. There's not really anything outside of that. It was like two to three paragraphs on like, what this was, a few pictures, and that was it. <laughs> There's not, not a whole lot of context for this one. My first question is just, why? Like, I, I get... The publicity for the town and all that, again, Manitou Springs, go visit there. Great, great location. They got nice, skinny, sketchy-looking guys like Bob Bob Salem there. Very nice, very nice, though, but skinny, sketchy-looking guys there. Uh, Hey, encourage tourism, all that stuff, but, like, why this specifically? Like, not even necessarily knocking its effectiveness. I'd certainly never heard of Manitou Springs before today. And hey, maybe I'll visit Manatee Springs at some point. Whenever I make my my long anticipated trip to uh, to Colorado at some point to go drive around the state, that's a that's a different trip for another time. I just want to know why this that this was a feat of endurance that this man wanted to showcase. Um, piggybacking off that last question, how did Bob here figure out that this was a a thing you could do? Just off the bat, like how, how, and B, how did you figure out that this was a particular talent of yours where you're like, hey, I think I could set the record here. I think I could get up this mountain, push this peanut up the mountain with this spoon on my face faster than anyone else in in history. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I I just don't understand. At, At what point do you first hear that pushing a peanut up a mountain with a serving spoon attached to your face is a recreational activity that one can even take part in? That's that's the most confusing part to me. Like, where did you hear about this? Like, who posed this to you? What weird Reddit forum were you looking at where they were just like, back in 1963, fucking Ulysses, Ulysses Baxter pushed a goddamn peanut up to the, t- the tip of Pike's Peak, and he did it in record time back in the 60s. Um, I, I don't fucking understand... Where you hear this? What piece of weird history you're listening to? And then on top of that, at that point, when when did you decide after you heard this, ah, oh, fuck, I got to get in on this action. This seems like, seems like a type of rush. Seven days crawling on my hands and knees up a mountain with a fucking giant strap-on spoon restricting the airflow to my nose. I mean, that sounds like a dream come true right there. Where the fuck do I sign up? When when did that whole thought come into your head and did you pick it up right away or was there a learning curve like did you initially like start doing this like like pushing the peanut up the mountain and thinking like oh man I'm I fucking stink at this but I really I really do enjoy this like you like you're doing this for the love of the game or like were you just like a natural born peanut pusher where you're just like I mean, you've been given lots of head on the street to, to fuel your meth habit. You got a got a strong game. Like you're just you're you're using that using that neck to just fling that peanut upward. I mean, maybe, maybe it's something like that. Maybe there's just a lot of natural talent there. There's just so many questions we just don't have the answers to. And I, I love everything about this. There's just this is the right amount of chaotic. No one's getting hurt. I mean, nothing Nothing really, like, super crazy is happening. No one's really stressed out. This is a fully sanctioned event. This is just a man, a full adult man, I mean, consenting to just be be ridiculous on TV. And, I mean, I, I really, really can't knock him for doing anything like that. I mean, I did a little research on the guy. In other words, I read one other article on the subject uh, from the Charlotte Times Tribune... Uh, I don't know. Some some fucking Charlotte newspaper. Um, on old Bob, old, old Bobby Boy's uh, trip up the mountain described himself. He, Bobby himself, described him as a uh, eccentrically challenged. Whatever that means doesn't really make a whole lot of uh, sense when you parse it out. But hey, whatever. Whatever, And he told uh, KRDO, who I'm guessing he gave this whole quote to, uh, he likes the weird and the strange. So, that answers that question. Hippie. Not meth. Hippie. My bad. My bad. I feel like I've been characterizing this man as a meth head all this time. Probably a hippie based on what he said there. Wasn't talking about some strange conspiracy theory about how the voices are telling them that he needs to push this peanut up the mountain. There's a listening device in the peanut. The government's listening to him through the peanut. That's that right there. That's that's telltale meth. That That's telltale meth right there. This guy just seems like he just took some ayahuasca, decided to move to the mountains one day. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's the fun type of skinny guy. Meth? Can be fun from a distance. Can be fun from a distance. Not not when you're right next to it. That's that's for damn sure. So hey, shout out to Bob Salem with his spoon strap on. Shout out to Manitou Springs, Colorado. Go visit there if you're ever in the area. Uh, Also, to quote Bob Salem, I am not nuts. I don't think I'm nuts. Which, by the way, doesn't reassure anyone. Doesn't reassure anyone at all. But shout out to drugs most of all because I am sure without them... This achievement could have never happened. So, from the bottom of my heart, thank you, drugs. Thank you so much. And with that, that's all for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. If you enjoyed, which, hey, I feel like this was a pretty enjoyable episode this week. I mean, kept it to about an hour fairly entertaining i mean just something that we can all we can all enjoy together i think this is the best episode i've had in quite some time i'm just fucking amped to go on my uh, on my trip this week i will tell you what hey if you enjoyed subscribe leave a five star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit if you didn't enjoy it Rate five stars anyways. Won't hurt anybody. It'll just, you know, make me feel good. I'll probably probably beat off tonight if I see that, you know. I mean, it's just going to be it's gonna be a celebration all around. It's going to be wonderful. Just make it happen. It's going to be great. Uh, episodes are released every Wednesday once a week through the offseason, which is not too much longer. We will be back to twice a week uploads when the football season is back in swing, specifically college football. I mean, when both college football and pro football is back in action, we will have two episodes. I think I've kind of just decided while talking this that I think from what I understand, the college football season starts before the NFL season slightly. So while that's going on, still going to have one episode, but once they're both in full swing in regular season, we are all the way back. No rubber, all the lube, just go into town two episodes a week. I'm fucking excited. Get pumped. Anyways, follow me on social media at Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern Block name. Uh, If you want to contact the show, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. That's unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. No caps up in that bitch. But, where there are caps, just put a all business, well not not all business, just business or show in all caps to start the subject line so you can be categorized accordingly. Just a, a quick reminder on the way out so we can hit it on both ends to do a little Eiffel tower on this episode of making sure y'all know, uh, just a quick reminder on the way out the door that there will be no episode next week, maybe probably almost certainly an episode, uh, the week after that, once I get back from the great outdoors, uh, then we'll be back on schedule barreling towards the end of the off season. And I cannot fucking wait. Anyways, thank you all for tuning in on unqualified analysis. And as always, I've got no clue what I'm talking about. I am so fucking ready for football to be back.